City Lights is a film from one of the most iconic and influential directors in cinematic history. By the time of its release, the director had made a number of feature films, all of which were successful in their own rights. The director, having released two feature films in a row, was about to embark on a new project. However, during filming today's subject, he was greeted with an enormous conundrum, and one that could potentially hurt the international reception of his most beloved character. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a glass of chocolate milk. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. fantastic film, and one that I feel isn't widely known about, or at least it doesn't feel like it. So I wanted to try and change that. The director of today's film, Charlie Chaplin, is known and loved to this day around the world as many things. An actor, director, comedian, icon. By the time the 30s arrived, he was one of the most popular celebrities in the world not to mention the creator and embodiment of one of the most recognized and lovable characters in cinema up to that point, if not ever. A character who starred in several films in the 20s and would begin the 30s with our subject today. City Lights stars Charlie Chaplin as his beloved character, The Tramp. Now, for those unfamiliar, Chaplin was a highly talented and creative person who wrote directed, and starred in all of his films. He even composed the music for a lot of his feature films. A master of communicating without saying anything, he was the star of the silent age of cinema. His legendary figure, The Tramp, helped to embody a lot of things through the years and always lifted people's spirits. Whether that was the fright of World War I, the boom of the Roaring Twenties, or the hopelessness of the Great Depression. He always found a way to reach people through comedy. If you aren't familiar with The Tramp, you're most likely familiar with the imagery. A man with baggy pants, oversized shoes, a buttoned-up shirt, and suit coat. His tie was either traditional or bow, and usually sported a vest, but always wore his derby hat and carried his curve-handled cane. The story of how this iconic character came to be is less a story about deliberate planning and more circumstantial luck. At the time, he was working for Keystone Film Company on a motion picture titled Mabel's Strange Predicament. The head of the company, Max Sennett, was looking to spruce up Chaplin's entrance into a scene. Sennett said to Chaplin, put on a comedy makeup, anything will do. In his autobiography, 
Chaplin wrote what happened next. Quote, I had no idea what makeup to put on. I did not like my getup as the press reporter in Making a Living. However, on the way to the wardrobe, I thought I would dress in baggy pants, big shoes, a cane, and a derby hat. I wanted everything to be a contradiction. The pants baggy, the coat tight, the hat small, and the shoes large. I was undecided whether to look old or young, but remembering Senate had expected me to be a much older man, I added a small mustache, which I reasoned would add age without hiding my expression. I had no idea of the character, but the moment I was dressed, the clothes and the makeup made me feel the person he was. I began to know him, and by the time I walked onto the stage, he was fully born. End quote. I found that really interesting, but sometimes things are just meant to be. If I can quote the great Bob Ross, there are no mistakes, just happy accidents. Chaplin would go on to star in 78 short films and six feature films from 1914 to 1931 when City Lights was released, directing 54 of the shorts and four of the features. So by the time City Lights arrived, the Tramp character was extremely popular and beloved all over the world. With this film, Charlie would return with the character with a wonderful and heartfelt story to tell. The plot, at its core, is about a man down on his luck who meets a blind girl and tries to earn enough money for an operation to help her see. All the Chaplin trademarks can be found in this film. His care, his creativity, his eye for detail, lots of laughs, and most importantly, an ample amount of heart. That's something that I really love about Charlie Chaplin and why he is one of my favorite directors. It's comedy that few have been able to replicate. Sure, there have been funnier films, but have there been films as funny and as heartfelt than with his? I will confidently say no, certainly not as consistent or with as much quality. With all of his films, no matter what the subject, characters, or methods, I always come away inspired to do something positive, which in my opinion is a true testament to his genius, spirit, legend, and influence, both as a creator and a human being. With City Lights, however, he would have to make a decision that could potentially harm the reception of his film. Technical advancements led to the ability for speech to be played with the film. Chaplin would have to decide if he would capitalize on these new technological advancements. Would audiences hear the voice of a character they've watched for almost 20 years? If he chose to go the sound route, it would be the first time audiences would get to hear his beloved character, the Tramp, speak. What would his voice sound like? What kind of accent would he have? Questions that today we may think trivial held a lot of weight at the time. The world had quickly adapted to talkies. All Quiet on the Western Front had come out with critical acclaim in 1930, cementing the popularity of the talkie. The following year, in 1931, Movies like Dracula, Frankenstein, M, and The Public Enemy would be released the same year as City Lights, each one featuring actors and actresses speaking on film. Chaplin was resistant to sound in film, as he thought it would hinder the charm and grace of his character. After all, he had perfected the character's mannerisms, walk, pace, and style, 
speech may reduce those elements down to scrap. In the end, Chaplin decided to keep City Lights a silent film. The beauty of the character is the universality. The fact that anybody can understand him, no matter what country they're from or what language they speak. Something that if words were to come into play, would undoubtedly narrow down the field of comprehension. The decision to remain silent did not, however, mean that he wouldn't use sound, but we'll talk about that more in a little bit. The film starts off with a very funny scene. We start off outside where a large number of people have gathered. Soon, we see a number of formally dressed individuals on a stage in the front of the crowd. Behind them is a large shape shrouded in a tarp. One by one, the distinguished people on stage step up to a microphone and take turns speaking. However, they speak no words, at least not audible ones. Instead, the characters during this scene speak in a wonderfully creative way. They speak by way of kazoo. Oh yes, kazoo. Each character has a distinctive pitch, and as they take turns speaking on the stage, the kazoo sounds off. Despite not being able to hear a vocal tone, we can almost tell that it's Charlie behind the instrument. Everyone in the scene has assembled for a statue unveiling, and as the speakers gesture towards the shrouded shape, the connected cables slowly pull the tarp upward to reveal a three-figured statue. As the middle and tallest figure is revealed, however, we see a sleeping tramp in its arms. The crowd begins to wave their arms and point towards the statue frantically, infuriated that he is laying on the new work of art. He slowly awakens and looks at the crowd, bewildered. Recognizing that they want him to get down, he tips his cap forward and begins to descend, climbing down toward the figure on the right, who is in a lying down position, holding his sword pointed to the sky. As he makes his way down, he sits and starts to tie his shoe which sends the crowd into another frenzy. He looks down to see that he is sitting on the figure's face. He tips his cap again, as if to apologize to the onlookers. He then rises up and tries to climb the tallest figure, but catches his pants on the sword. Slowly sliding downward, until the hand stops him, he hangs suspended by his pants. The tramp tries to catch his footing on the statue, flailing his legs forward and backward as the crowd continues to yell and gesture. After continuing to get himself into trouble in hilarious ways, he eventually makes his way over a fence, exiting the scene. We next see him crossing a street where we see a sidewalk. Walking around the corner comes a young woman carrying a wicker basket of flowers in her arms. She lays the basket on the wall edge and begins to try and sell flowers to passers-by. The tramp studies the woman, infatuated by her. Seeing that she is blind, he watches as she interacts with people, amazed. Approaching her, he shyly buys a flower from her. As she goes to hand him his change, she hears a car door close and mistakes him as a well-off individual. This simple gesture sets him on a number of adventures to help provide money for the operation she needs, to help make sight a reality. It's a tale of love and unrequited friendship, and the lengths one will go to help others. Before I continue, I feel it's worth pointing out another plot point. 
which is the tramp's friend in the film. While at a bar, he meets a wealthy man who befriends him. They walk out on the town, and eventually back to his mansion. While the wealthy individual is drunk, the two are thick as thieves, gallivanting around town and having a blast together. However, when the man sobers up, he has no recollection of his companion and has the butler remove him from the residence. This happens throughout the film as the tramp plays the role of a wealthy man and tries to save money to help the woman he loves. In the role of the blind woman, Chaplin cast Virginia Sherrill as the leading lady who is to play a blind woman who sells flowers to make ends meet. Virginia was an amateur actress having no previous roles, but Chaplin was impressed by how she was able to act in the role. He raised the bar high, especially for himself, wanting as close as perfection as he could achieve. While being inexperienced, none of it shows on screen. She plays a wonderful role and turns in a fantastic performance. This film would take over two years to complete and was a fairly painstaking process, but well worth the efforts. There are so many great scenes in this film, but two of my favorites are on the comedic side. The first is a boxing scene. After seeing an advertisement of a cash reward, the tramp enters himself into a boxing match. After some comedy in the dressing room, our hero's opponent walks out towards the ring, trainers in tow. Soon after, we follow him as the derby hat-wearing figure walks down a path through the spectators. Patches of cigarette smoke billow up from the side of the crowd as he climbs up the side and steps through the ropes. The rules are explained to both men, followed by handshakes. Our hero, seeing this as a moment of reprieve, continues to shake hands with everyone in the ring. He walks to his opponent's quarter and shakes the hands of the trainer, tipping his cap. After finishing the niceties, he walks back to his own corner. Funnily, he tries to follow his cornermen out of the ring through the ropes, but is pushed back and onto the stool. An audible bell sound is heard, and both men rise up and walk toward each other. I find this bit hilarious, as instead of a traditional boxing match, our hero takes a more, shall we say, defensive approach. His opponent is facing him, who is facing the ref, and behind the ref, facing his back, is the tramp. They move in an almost waltz-like fashion, our hero hiding behind the ref every step of the way. Every once in a while, the ref moves and the tramp punches his opponent, which tickles my funny bone. At one point, both men who are used to that motion are now facing each other unimpeded as the ref has moved to the side. His opponent, almost in a trance, continues the waltzing movement as our hero lands punches, the other man at times sinking down to a squat and rising back up, like a buoy on the ocean. My favorite bit is when the tramp puts both of his hands on the man's shoulders and tries to push him downward as if to keep him down, only to see him slowly rise up in a swaying sort of motion. I won't describe the entire scene, but I find it hilarious and think it's one that you'll enjoy and come back to. That's one thing that's brilliant about the tramp, is that he can be placed in almost any situation, something that by this time, audiences had grown to love. 
The versatility of the character within all those past shorts is quite impressive. The Tramp wasn't always depicted as the lovable character as seen in the circus or city lights. Although it's true that a lot of the times he was, he could also be daring, downtrodden, or charming. In fact, Chaplin details a conversation that he had with Max Sennett, head of Keystone Film Company of the time, in his autobiography. Quote, You know, this fellow is many-sided. A tramp, a gentleman, a poet, a dreamer, a lonely fellow, always hopeful of romance and adventure. He would have you believe he is a scientist, a musician, a duke, and a polo player. However, he is not above picking up cigarette butts or robbing a baby of its candy. And of course, if the occasion warrants it, he will kick a lady in the rear, but only in extreme anger. End quote. This rings true in everything I've seen of this alter ego. Regardless of what situation he finds himself in, it's believable. I think that's why the boxing match ends up so well. We follow him on the journey, where I'm not sure we do the same with a different character. Another of my favorite scenes is when he's at a party at his wealthy friend's mansion. He's in a bit of a state himself, after consuming alcohol, and is sitting on a couch. A server approaches from his right with a metal tray that includes napkins and silverware. As he removes one of each, he places them on his lap. Shortly after, another server approaches from his left, carrying what looks like a sun on a plate. It's a dome with triangles along the side, pointing outward with some garnish as well. As the tramp looks down, the server walks away, as the same shape appears in the same exact position. Our hero looks over with a spoon in hand and motions against the shape as if to spoon liquid from the base onto the top. As the tramp does this, however, the shape moves and reveals itself to be a bald man's head. The bald man removes the sun ray halo from his head, looking at our hero with astonishment and confusion. Soon the server comes back with the sun tray but the appetite has been lost. Next, a woman sits next to him on the couch, blowing one of those uncoiling party horns. She places a whistle in his mouth, and the tramp sounds off, playing with the whistle. Each time he exhales into the instrument, an audible whistle is heard. Leaning back, he continues to sound off, shaking his head, until the woman turns to look at somebody behind him and hits our hero's stomach, sending the whistle down the throat of our friend. He arches up and coughs repeatedly. Eventually, the coughing stops, and he gazes at the woman. He then hiccups and lets out the sound of the whistle. Then a crowd gathers around the room for a speech shortly after, and it's so incredibly funny to watch and hear our friend plagued by hiccups, interrupting innocently with the sound of the whistle. This scene usually brings me to laughter, induced crying. I find it absolutely hilarious. Apart from the comedy, though, there is so much that can be said about this film. The ending itself is quite beautiful and poignant, but as always, you'll have to experience that one for yourself. I love this film so much. There's so much heart found throughout and I always come away with a smile and warm feeling of contentment and positivity. 
The idea of a man with nothing trying to earn enough to help another person is a beautiful sentiment. He's a truly innocent character, just hoping to help the woman he loves, even though he knows that it means she'll be able to see him. I find this film to be very inspiring as well. Every time I watch City Lights, I usually have a drive to do something positive and creative. Even if that's something as simple as treating my wife to a nice home-cooked meal or partaking in a hobby for a bit. I can't explain it. It's one of those things I think it either happens or it doesn't. But for me, it always does. I think no matter if you come away inspired or not, you will come away with some emotional connection. This film has a great way of pulling at your heartstrings and tickling the funny bone at the same time. Either way, I'd love to know what you think. At the end of the day, Chaplin hit a home run with City Lights. Moviegoers around the world flocked to theaters and raved about their experience. Choosing not to speak when talkies were in full swing was a measured risk. However, as my grandpa used to say, measure twice, cut once. The risk rewarded him with an international hit that reached people in several ways, and to this day is one of the director's most popular films. Chaplin would again say no to the talkie five years later when he made Modern Times, though that film does have a bit of singing, which must have been quite a delight to witness upon release. So if you're looking for something to watch and leaning toward comedy, give City Lights a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you'd like to watch City Lights for yourself, you can find it on various streaming platforms. At the time of this recording, you can find City Lights on the Criterion channel. The Criterion channel has different pricing structures from $9.99 per month to $99 per year, which is what I chose to do. If you like film, I highly recommend trying it out. You can also find City Lights on streaming services like Prime Video, Vudu, HBO Max, and Apple TV for either $2.99 or $3.99 to rent if you subscribe to those services. You can also find it on YouTube or Google Play for $2.99 to rent. Glaze Cinema was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please feel free to visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There, you'll find info about the show, including a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, you can also find each episode on our blog page in written form. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema.